Well, hello, welcome to the Science Podcast. It's uh, me, Mr. Short, with Mr. Atkinson. Morning, everyone. How are we? Uh, first podcast of the new year. Happy New Year. Indeed. Happy New Year, Dave. <laughs> uh, so, we're kicking off the new year um, talking about uh, transport. So, movement, movement from one place to another, and how we do that, and any science links uh, we can think of. And costs. Like costs, yes. In all, in all manner of the word costs. Yeah, yeah. Financial, environmental, all that kind of stuff. That's right, maybe physical as well, energetic. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, So we'll start off with um, perhaps the easiest one, the one that hopefully, uh, if you're physically fit, you've got access to, which is walking. Yeah. So where should we start with walking? Uh, Well, actually, I would actually start just sitting still. See, a lot of people, you know, you talk about exercise and things like that. And the importance of diet, and I think I, I think sometimes the importance of diet is understated, because you get a lot of people that think, right, I need to go to the gym, I need to work out, I need to do this. The human body operates at a power of about a hundred watts, so there's no exercise you can do that will match the human body for power output over a sustained period of time. I mean, if you go to the gym and you can burst your buns for say an hour, you'd be lucky to average somewhere between 120, 130 watts. Divide that with 24 for your hourly power output, it's like five, five and a bit watts. You'll never beat the human body. So even just diet alone is is important because the human body has such a relatively large power output. Do you mean for like weight control? Or? Yeah, weight control and just general kind of overall health, the importance yeah. of diet is, is understated, yeah. I would say. Yes, I think so, yeah. Um, you can, yeah. The, the saying is, you can, you can't out-train a bad diet or a poor diet. There you go. So you could do all the exercise There's you want. Yeah. yeah. But if you've got a poor diet, then you're it's not going to be that healthy, and you're going to probably uh, gain weight or you know, fail in your exercise. Yeah. It just makes things so much harder. Yeah. Uh, walking's again understated as well because walking is one of the the best exercises you can do. Just getting out and moving around. Um, just getting your body moving. Yeah. It's one of the best things, and you don't have to run if you're exercising. You can just go out and walk, and it does keep you very healthy. And I think it's used quite often as an indicator of good health that you can yeah. go out and walk for In a fact, really long one distance. Of the, for people who, for whatever reason, have a, a, you know blue badge holders. Yeah. Um, one of the tests that you have to do is you have to walk. Uh, I think is it twenty or thirty meters, right. and they just observe you. How long does it take? visible signs of pain, etc. Yeah. And the decision to award a blue badge to somebody is based just on that. Yeah. And it's interesting that whilst in the evolutionary sense, uh, bringing back a little bit to science, is that we're one of the, I think, the only mammal to be upright bipedal rather than on four legs. Um, but I guess you could try walking on all fours if you like. <laughs> See how difficult <laughs> it is. Stop it. <laughs> I think our skeleton has evolved, um, so we're more upright. Because we do have some that are no legs as well, some that swim, I guess, as well. Yeah. You get whales and yes. dolphins and things. Right. So on from walking, uh, obviously we could go into running. Um, That's just walking but faster. Walking but faster. <laughs> a little bit, um, uh, yeah, and running... Running's an interesting one because you don't have to go fast. When, when you go running, you don't have to go very fast. You can just cruise along quite easily um, and enjoy uh, your run and not raise your heart rate too much. You could do that. Actually. You look at in Nat 5 physics, work done. Uh-huh. Work done is force times distance. It's completely yeah. independent of the speed that you're traveling. Yeah. So in terms of overall energy used, 
doesn't make a difference. The only thing that in reality makes a difference is as you run, your body temperature increases, yeah. your power output increases, but work done is independent of speed. Right. So, you do that so I guess we're kind of not quite away from science, but we're uh, looking at energy use versus energy in. So energy usage and your diet and exercise and overall health, health and well-being really, and the effects on your mind are, are significant as well when you do exercise. All big time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, moving on from walking, so you don't really need much for walking or running. There's no infrastructure required. You can go cross country. Um, Moving on to, uh, or just a good pair of shoes, but moving on to the bike. So the bike will be the next from form of transport. Two legs to two wheels. <laughs> yeah, two legs. Um, the bike is incredible, isn't it? For, it's fantastic. Yeah, for reducing the energy required to go a set distance. Yeah, I mean, we talk about we just talked about efficiency, and we now move on to the device that's the most efficient device ever created, the bike. Yeah, phenomenal. You just barely any energy wasted, especially on the flat. You turn the turn the pedals, and away you go. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of science in the bike in terms of materials. Yeah, um, bike frames have evolved from uh, steel uh, through to uh, aluminium, tungsten, titanium, uh, and now carbon fiber. That's, it. That's the really fancy stuff. <laughs> That's the ones that you see the Tour de France guys. Yeah. Uh, right now, I went on holiday once to Mallorca. I think they do a lot of altitude training there. Yeah. And there's a little cafe in the hills. And Bradley Wiggins, the year after he won the tour, he donated his bike to the shop because okay. it just seems to be the thing that they do. And you know, you can pick it up with your finger. Yeah. Like your pinky. It's so light. So light and so strong, the yeah. carbon fibre. And I think we can adjust it with metal, it's, it's a little bit different. There's a uniform strength, I think, and you just have to... Uh, with carbon fibre, I think they can layer it so it's stronger yeah. in different areas. It just depends on the way you literally weave it all together. Yeah. yeah. It's cool incredible stuff. development, isn't it? <laughs> um, bikes also, I mean, there's more of an aerodynamic effect. Yeah. So hence cyclists wearing uh, tighter clothes. Um, that's why they all race in the peloton, isn't it? And take yeah. cones at the front, because the guy at the front does way more work than the guys behind him. And when you look at the team pursuit in the Olympics, the guy at the front, I think he's got somewhere between two and a, maybe about one and a half to two and a half times the energy output of the guys behind them because he's the one hitting off the wind barrier and breaking the wind barrier. I mean, in terms of um, translating that for a professional sport into everyday usage, if you can imagine a load of cycle paths yeah. and lots of people cycling in, it would be, would be so much easier, wouldn't it? As yeah. a lone cyclist, cycling against the wind it is pretty difficult. Mm. Uh, but if we had greater numbers cycling on our roads, uh, it would be easier. And safety in numbers. And safety in numbers, yeah. Well, cycle paths as well, away from the traffic. Yeah. Um, another point to that is, um, in terms of aerodynamics, is the materials used. So materials used to be uh, natural materials, looking at wool and things like that, um, and now we've got meshed in with lycra, so stretchy yeah. fabrics, um, you can print on the clothes, uh, so there's another development there in terms of science and, and polymers and things. Uh, what else have we got with cycling? Anything else we want to mention before we move on? <laughs> Well, I suppose it really deserves a podcast all on its own, but how do you balance on a bike? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's not what people think, it's not the gyroscopic principle. I would have always thought gyroscopic, because yeah. I've seen wheels stay upright when there's you spin a, them. Yeah. There's a really good video, and it's this guy, and he's built this bike where you, oh, yeah, you can yeah, turn yeah. in a certain direction. That's right. But it locks, and it stops you from turning the other way. Oh, really? 
and everyone can usually go like a foot or so and then they start to turn but when you start to turn right if you look at it in slow motion the first thing you do everyone consciously or not when you turn right the first thing you do is turn left you see I've and heard that, this before and I luck. totally don't believe it <laughs> I, experiment I sense an experiment coming on we should put a frame to yours see yeah. how you go on we should do that down in the hall um, I've seen the one in uh, the festivals normally and there's a guy got a bike and he uh, you pay five quid and he'll give you money back if you can cycle five metres or something but the, the handlebars if you turn left the wheel goes right oh yeah the, yeah I've yeah. seen that as well Right, so oh, we need to have a go at that. We need to lock the handlebars and see yep. what happens. It only locks in one direction. You can always steer it either left or right, but you can't do it the other way. And if you want to turn right, the first thing you will do is you will move your wheel to the left a little bit just to shift your weight. Because if you turn right, and you would do this at advance higher, you look at central force. Yeah. Uh, and in order to turn right, you do need some motion to the left to kind of get you started. All right, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> In the hall, on the bike. With safety, Matt. <laughs> so do you need flat handlebars or drops? Doesn't make a difference. Make you, a just difference. Need to, you, need, you just need some sort of frame to stop you from turning the other way. Okay, right. I totally don't believe this, but... And we can't do it. <laughs> we should do it. <laughs> Um, all right, so we've gone from walking to bikes. Not much infrastructure needed for either of those. You can go off-road on the bike, uh, and walking, obviously, you can go cross-country. But the bike would benefit from a flatter surface, wouldn't it? Yeah, smoother, yeah. less energy lost, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we're now on to perhaps building an infra a transport infrastructure um, which benefits the wheeled uh, vehicle, really, um, which breaks us onto cars. I know the idea of transit, there was actually an article in the news, I'll need to share it later on. Uh, it was on the idea of smart motorways, I don't know if oh, you yeah, heard that. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, the, essentially, the hard shoulder becoming a normal lane. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I've, I've never really got the, the idea of that. Um, if you're broken down, you're on there and you've got a car cruising along behind you, it this sounds it. quite dangerous really, there was, isn't it? They, they mentioned that in the article, there was a guy who broke down or he hit another car, so they pulled over to the side and they were smashed by an 18-wheeler lorry. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that the, I mean, if you think about it, whether you use science or maths or just analysis, um, Ben Elton did a very good sketch on um, motorways and whether we should increase our capacity like they've done in America. And he used the analogy of a bin in your house, in the, let's say, the kitchen. Now, your bin fills up and you have to empty it like our roads are filling up. So you might think instead of emptying it more often, instead of in increasing your efficiency with the, the rubbish, you just put another bin in there, oh. like another lane. But what happens is you just end up filling up both bins and you're left with the same problem. That's it. <laughs> and it's now twice as bad because you've got twice as much traffic. Yeah, twice as much traffic. And it's just, uh, yeah, re reducing, re reducing cars seems to be the only logical way forward rather than increasing the number of cars. And good luck with that with an increasing population. Yeah. But with... Uh, public transport. Public transport is safer. Uh, I think with our cars, um, there's obviously a lot of energy input to making a car in terms of the tyres, uh, the, the actual body of the car. And cars are amazing these days, absolutely amazing. If you look yeah. back 40 years, the, the difference in the technology in the cars is, is phenomenal. There's so much less wasted heat as well. They now yeah. use some of that heat to break and then you put that energy back yeah. in. And, also and you won't see, I mean, when I was growing up, you used to see uh, people working on their cars in the driveway. 
doing a bit of manual uh, maintenance. Mm. You won't see that these days. It's all done by the garage, yeah. and it's, it's such high tech. Especially with electric cars, there's so. Yeah. Do you have any idea how many moving parts there are in an electric car? <laughs> Very few, I'd have thought. Yeah, <laughs> like when you consider that you've got the two wing, the two wipers. Yes. Four motors essentially for each window. Yeah. That's six. There's about twenty moving parts in a fully electric car. They they yeah. hardly need service. They, they they get an MOT I think once every three or four really? years. Really. Because there's just there's just so little that can actually go wrong because hardly any part of the car that's actually not, moves. That's not something I've thought of before, actually. Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible. That is incredible. Hardly any of it moves. Oh. Just the wheels and the windows and the door, the, the doors and the window yeah. wipers. It's amazing. Yeah, the technology in the car is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. But they're also quite dangerous in terms of uh, safety. There's mm-hmm. quite a lot of accidents on roads. If you have an accident in a bike or walking, it's, it's unlikely to be that serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you fall off on a bike uh, or skid, you're not really likely to cause much damage. Cars are a significant issue when Even it comes to accidents. pedestrians now, because electric cars are so quiet, yeah. you can't hear them. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you listen to music, which a lot of people presumably would when they go for a walk. You just will not hear an electric car or music. Yeah. Um, we could talk a little bit about we've a little bit of the materials of the car. Um, so we're moving on to the more the infrastructure, the roads. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a huge infrastructure of roads across the country. Um, but one issue that I was thinking about was um, the melting point. Yeah. Because we've got quite a mid-range kind of... Um, temperature variation in the UK but often it does get very very hot or very cold you do get odd spikes in temperature and the roads can melt they can indeed yeah they get a little bit sticky um so why does that happen so I guess it just it's a combination of the different materials that make up the roads and it affects the overall boiling point I mean they are black in color which absorbs heat quite well um, yeah, we've got the, the. Although the temperature probably doesn't go much above thirty degrees, I think in the UK, the roads can reach higher. And I think the melting point yeah. of our tarmac is just about fifty degrees. The energy that they absorb. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they, they warm up. It's just the top bit of the, le- of the road that will will start to melt. Um, so we could change it, I suppose, change the composition and make it a higher melting point, but that leads to freezing in the winter and cracks. It does. Yeah, you've got to find the balance, right? Yeah. I know in Canada they have. In fact, roads are made of different surfaces because, for example, in Ottawa, where I used to stay, that's got the greatest temperature variation of any capital city in the world. They get 40 in the summer, and they can get, in fact, it was minus 35 yesterday. Wow. So there's 70 degrees C variation yeah. between the hottest parts and the we, coldest parts. And they've got to deal with that. How do, they, do you know how they deal with that? So the regular maintenance of the roads on a greater, with a greater frequency right. than... than than they are here. So I guess if cracks appear, yeah. if you get a crack, then water will get in and it just makes the crack worse. Freezes, expands. Yeah, more likely to have accidents on the road. But the roads are physically made of different materials. Right. Even um, crops are different uh-huh. because, again, crops that are left planted in sort of September, October time for the next year, that's got to survive the incredibly harsh winter. Yeah. And, yeah, the, 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 the oats are tougher in Canada. Right because they've just got to be in order to survive. Okay. Well, we, we better stop there. We're approaching, yeah, um, we can continue this another time. Sounds good. But uh, good chat this morning, interesting. Thanks and, for having um, me. Okay, right. We'll chat to you later on.